Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young. Today we're talking about teaching using popular culture, and we're focusing on a quirky TV comedy called The Good Place, which just started its fourth season on NBC. For those who don't watch it already, it's, it's a bit hard to explain, in part because it does something that's pretty unusual, which is make a popular comedy show about moral philosophy. That's right, philosophy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. So it's set in a place that's supposedly something like heaven, where a character called Michael, played by Ted Danson, is the leader of a neighborhood of a few hundred souls. He explains that while humans are on Earth, they're scored on the moral value of every action they take. Hugging a sad friend, uh, that's said to be plus 4.98 value, while buying a trashy magazine is negative 0.75. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. I don't want to spoil anything for those who haven't watched this, but there are some elaborate plot twists along the way as four main characters struggle to understand what it means to live a worthy life. And they fight to earn a spot in The Good Place. The show is led by Michael Schur, who previously wrote for The Office and Parks and Recreation. But there's an unusual person in the writer's room of this show, The Good Place, an academic philosopher from Clemson University, Professor Todd May, one of our guests today. There was one moment in the, the, my recent trip for the fourth season where I, I made a couple of distinctions and then they had started having this conversation about, okay, here's what we can do with the characters and the plot with, based on what Todd's telling us. And I was like a fly on the wall watching the creative process. This would be the pedagogical equivalent to dying and going to heaven. That, that's me talking there. Some colleges are now including episodes of this TV show in their classes as a way to jumpstart discussions of philosophy. And NBC even created a series of short videos on YouTube with this Clemson professor explaining basic ideas of moral philosophy um, for a wide audience. But can a network sitcom accurately teach concepts like existentialism and the works of Plato and Kant? And how much should colleges use pop culture in their courses? To get at those questions, I first talked with Todd May, that professor helping to advise The Good Place. And I also checked in with an administrator at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, who assigns the show in a first-year seminar she leads. Stay tuned. I'm going to take a quick pause here to make a request. As regular listeners know, every Tuesday we drop a new episode like this one with interviews and stories about big questions facing education. But to keep things going, we would love to hear from you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the EdSearch podcast wherever you listen so you can make sure to catch future episodes. And if you like it, tell a friend about the show or give it a shout out on social media somehow so, so we can help others find it. Okay, now back to the episode. All right, I'm talking with Todd May, a uh, philosophy professor at Clemson University. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's good to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Now, I am very curious, as I think people might um, be as well, but how, how did you end up getting this gig as an advisor to this um, hit TV comedy show? A good place. Actually, it was purely luck. Uh, one of the writers, Dan Schofield, picked up a little book I'd written on death uh, and read it, uh, uh, recommended it to Mike Schur. Uh, Mike read it, and, uh, as he described it, he would read it at night when he went to bed, uh, and his wife would 
get into bed seeing this guy with a book with a raven on the cover and the title of Death. Uh, and he wasn't sure how this was going to do with his marriage. Uh, but apparently the marriage survived and thrived it. Uh, and he called me up and asked me if, uh, well, well, he emailed me uh, and asked me if we wanted to talk on the phone about some issues. Uh, I suggested we Skype and things kind of just took off from there. And this is before you'd ever heard of The Good Place. It didn't exist yet. Uh, well, no, it did exist, I, but I hadn't heard of it. Uh, the other philosophy advisor, Pamela Hieronymy, she worked with it before the show began. Right? Uh, he contacted me somewhere in the middle of the, of the first season. I see. I see. But you had not been a watcher of it. Uh, no. No, I had no idea this thing existed. Right. Until, I mean, look, Jeff, I'm a philosopher. I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not clear I knew that network television existed before <laughs> we started this. Well, uh, that said, I mean, you have written many books, I see, and some of them seem a little bit aimed at a popular audience. So you've, you've been a bit of a public intellectual, I think, right? I've tried. I mean, one of the things about philosophy is there's a tendency for philosophers to write in such a way that the only people who matter are other philosophy professors. And, I, you know, I made my career at the beginning doing that sort of thing, but it never made me comfortable. Uh, and so over the years, I've decided, look, I don't need to be doing this anymore. So I try to write for basically interested and curious people uh, around issues that, are, that seem to me large and important. Give me the elevator summary of the elevator pitch of that book that, that you were, that, you know, Michael Schur was reading in his, <laughs> as he went to bed. Okay. <laughs> so, so. The book argues right, that death is one of the most important facts about us, and we need to come to terms with this fact, that we're mortal. Uh, I argue that although the fact that we're going to die is bad, so would immortality be. It would, it would render our lives shapeless. Uh, and so, in a way, death is what gives meaning to our lives. But, and this is the part that, that Mike really picked up on, I think, is that, that morality helps give shape to our lives. It, it helps render those lives in a way that gives them a meaningful narrative. Huh. And so this is why, you know, moral philosophy is, is, is a worth people considering, even if they're not scholars. Oh, yeah, yeah. Reflecting uh, on morality and reflecting on its role in our lives, I think is important for us. And, and it, gives us, it gives us a way to think about who we are and who we want to be. Huh. To have a framework, to have one of the many different ideas, like kind of gone through episode by episode in the show, if people watch it. <laughs> sure. Well, Jeff, think of it this way, that people will go to great lengths not to think of themselves as immoral, right? They, they will go to great lengths to think of themselves at least as decent human beings. What I sometimes say to my class is, uh, is that people's ability knowingly to do evil is pretty limited. Uh, their self-deception is fairly infinite. Uh, so uh, thinking about morality is thinking about who we are, who we want to be, and how we want to think about ourselves. Hmm. Hmm. Um, were you surprised when you heard the premise of the show <laughs> as a popular vehicle, though, even though, you, you know, despite the argument you just made? I surprise would put it mildly. 
I, I was amazed that there was somebody who was going to deal overtly with the issue of morality on television, uh, who was going to do things like the trolley problem and talk about existentialism and things like this. And, uh, and of course, again, what, what makes the show succeed is that they, they're not lecturing you about this, right? They embed this in some very funny jokes with, and with some very strong actors. But yeah, when I, when I got called, when I got the email, uh, I, I thought I had no idea what it was about and why he would want to talk to me. And then what has your role entailed since that first call? Well, it, it, we started with the first call. Uh, we got along. We talked for about, I don't know, two plus hours. Uh, and it just turned out that, that, that I enjoyed his company and uh, he tolerated mine fairly well. And, and so we started Skyping. Uh, one of the episodes, the existentialism episode, uh, is actually based on a conversation we had uh, about what existentialism is. So we Skyped the times. Uh, then I, I, I went to the writer's room uh, before the third season. Uh, they, they told me, here's some issues that we're going to want to talk about. Uh, could you come and talk about us? So we spent the day talking. And then before the fourth season, uh, I spent the day in the writer's room again. Uh, I've, I've read a number of scripts that they have or parts of scripts uh, and then I did this little set of uh, four to five minute YouTube videos, uh, which they did in between in the break in the third season. Yeah, I wanted to get back to those in a second. But so when you're in the what is it like being in the writer's room of the show? It's it's like what a dream thing would be. Uh, you have as a ten or a dozen people, uh, one of whom was my daughter's favorite stand up comedian. Uh, and. They're interested in what's going on. They're interested in ideas and they're hilariously funny. So we tack back and forth between my trying to, to you know, get the material to them. Uh, they're embedding it in characters and scenarios and seeing where it might go. This would be the pedagogical equivalent to dying and going to heaven. <laughs> and... Um... You know, I have to ask, I mean, as someone, I talk to a lot of professors and I, I feel like these are tough ideas, uh, as, as you said. So are there any, are there any notions and, and t topics they're tackling in moral philosophy that, that really are just kind of too complex to come through accurately on the show, despite their best efforts? No, that's a good question, Jeff. I haven't been asked that before, but I think the answer is no. Uh, but I think the reason for that is that they won't tackle a philosophical position unless they feel comfortable with it. Uh, there was one that came up on personal identity, uh, and this appeared in the third season on the Janet's episode, where you know, she's, she's different people. Uh, and I thought they did a magnificent job, but they will pin you down uh, until they know and feel comfortable with what's going on. And sometimes if they're not sure of it, I'll get, I'll get a follow-up email or a follow-up Skype. Um, they, they, and Mike in particular, but all of the writers were very concerned not to mislead with the ideas to make them inaccurate. Uh, and, uh, my read on it is that they've done a, a marvelous job. So if they think there's something they can't do, right, they won't do. Do you know if there's a show they haven't done because of, of that? I guess I'd have to ask the show folks, but. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know there are ideas that I've, I've put out there that I haven't seen, right? Uh, but... Can you share any? 
I, I shouldn't yet because they may yet appear. I mean, there are things we talked about at one point that appeared, you know, a year or so after we've talked about them. So you don't know how the show is going to end. They've got one more season to go here. Do you know? They have one more season to go. I don't. Uh, I, 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 I said I've read some of the scripts, uh, but uh, uh, Mike asked me whether I wanted to, to read the last one to see where this was going. I said, actually, no. I want to. I, I want to see it like a viewer. Why? <laughs> it just. It just seems to me that that there are things that are likely to happen in those last couple of episodes that are going to bring bring things to a place where I'm going to feel. I'm going to feel something. There's going to be a twist or a turn uh, that's going to happen for me, and I want that to be fresh. I don't want to say, yeah, I knew that was going to. Um, it probably also saves you from a lot of awkward conversations with friends who are trying to get that out of you, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, they've they've sort of given up on that, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I've sort of become the master of the shoulder struggle. I don't know what's going to happen here. Something's going to happen. All right. Well, we'll have to stay tuned there. So, um, you, so I, I have seen on the show's kind of social media and their website, they've produced these videos, series of web videos with 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 you, some of them with you, about like kind of walking through the show and going through the ideas and tell me a little bit about, about those. What are those like to produce? And well, l- let me tell you a bit about the first, about the ideas behind them. Right? Uh, they didn't originate with the folks at the good place. Uh, one of the creative directors uh, at NBC hmm. uh, decided uh, that he was going to, th- that he wanted to pitch this. So Mike agreed to it, uh, although he pitched it. Uh, and the idea was to be able to take some of the philosophical ideas that appear on the show and to give them a little more depth than they were able to get treated with on the show so the people who were interested uh, could follow up and see it. Right? And I thought, Jeff, what was going to happen is going to walk into a room. There's going to be a cameraman and the interviewer, and that was going to be it, right? This sure. was NBC. I should have known better. Right? There's 15 people in the room, right? There's the three camera people. There's the guy who overlooks the camera people. There's the makeup person running over and putting stuff on my face. There's, there's the sandwich guy. There's the chauffeur. Who, these are four-minute videos when they come out in the, to the world. These right? are yeah. four four-minute videos, right? Uh, I was interviewed for... I, I want, to, I want to say it was three or four hours. Wow. Uh, and then they cut it down. But they did a magnificent job. I thought I'd be doing well if I got 10,000 views. I, I mean, I looked the other day, and it was, it was one of us close to 90,000 views. I, I saw that. One. That's the one I, I just watched it. Yeah. So That was the existentialism one, I think. Okay, I'm going to cut in real quick. Here, here's what that YouTube video on existentialism sounds like. It, it's it's kind of like a professor doing a DVD commentary about an episode of a show. Think of it this way. If you're immortal, right, there's no particular rush to figure out what the meaning of your life might be. Maybe there's no meaning, but you got forever to figure it out. But if you are mortal, if you're going to die at some point, here's what has to happen. If there's some kind of meaning or if you're going to make it up, what you have to do is do it now, do it soon, because you're going to die. We're all just corpses. We haven't yet begun to decay. What Chidi wants for Michael is to have that existential crisis, and then he can introduce questions of what it is that Michael ought to do with more urgency now. Are you, are you using any of these in your class? Or are they not quite there? 
Uh, I'm not. Uh, but the reason that I'm not is that I would feel weird. Right. Like, like here, yeah, look at watch me. me on watch me. YouTube, right. When I'm in the classroom, they can look at me like here, right here. I'm right here. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, but I, I understand that other people have. I've gotten some emails from some professors who said huh. that they've used the videos. There you go. Uh, and, and I, there are, I, I, on the comments, several people who argued that they studied the videos before their philosophy tests. I love it. So are there, are there any, um, well, first of all, what's your, do you have a favorite episode of the show? Well, I mean, I, I, I like the, the episode, uh, the existentialism episode, because I could see how it was, it was made. Um, there are some episodes coming up uh, where I was able to actually have some input. Uh, and I think that they'll be, uh, I, I think they'll, they'll be sort of, you know, they're fun for me in a very egotistical way, right? Yeah. And maybe you, did you get any, any jokes in there? Um, uh, it wasn't jokes. It was, uh, there was there's some plot issues uh, that I was able right. to. to uh, um, uh, I think what I like, Jeff, are moments, right? Moments in those episodes. Uh, when they, when, the, when uh, Sean threatens to put Michael into the room, and it's going to be alone for eternity. And there'll be nothing but New Yorkers. And they'll keep coming, right? Uh, that was a great joke. Uh, and my, I think my favorite line, although I, I'm not sure I could repeat it uh, exactly as it appeared, is when Michael is going to go to, uh, they're going to try to go through the bad place to get to the judge so they can, uh, they can try to get another hearing about going into the good place. Uh, and Michael says, Right. This is the most human thing he could think of doing, right? To try something that is what is utterly hopeless with a ton of unearned confidence and fail spectacularly at it, right? Uh, those moments to me, right, they, they stay with me, right? Uh, and they help make the show. I, I, I think I remember that. He's like excited to do something so human and that, that the way he describes it. Yeah. The, the Michael character, that's hilarious. Okay. That, that's the Ted Danson. Um, place so are there are there any shows or movies um maybe that people haven't even heard of that might be more obscure than an nbc comedy that that capture ideas of moral philosophy really well that you'd recommend for someone making their playlist here i would say that i don't think of a movie or another show that captures these ideas uh there is a movie director that i'm very fond of that i'm actually i just finished writing a book on him uh kenneth Lonergan. All right. Who did uh, his most famous uh, film is Manchester by the Sea. Uh, and I think what he's really good at is showing moral complexity, uh, mm. that people have more sides morally than you might think. And, mm. that, that, and that a quick judgment on people is likely to miss what morally uh, they're capable of. And that, Jeff, I think is very much reflected in the show. I mean, think about the development, we could take almost anybody, but think about the development that, that Eleanor goes through, right? She is self-described this dirt bag from Arizona. And yet, as the show evolves, she develops not just courage, but she develops moral courage, right? Or Michael, right, the, the demon, right, who becomes more human, but at the same time, more caring. These are sides of these people, moral sides, that we might not have seen unless we gave it time to hold. And what Lonergan's films do, uh, and in particular uh, Manchester by the Sea, uh, but also You Can Count on Me, uh, is show us that there are more sides to people 
than we might guess. And so that the quick moral judgment often misses, right, the, hum the full humanity of people we're dealing with. And I think that idea is, is in Lonergan's films, and I think you see it in The Good Place as well. All right, this all sounds good, but could a show like The Good Place actually belong on a college syllabus? It turns out it already is, including in a first-year seminar at UNLV, in a course taught by Emily Shreve, who is Associate Director of Academic Transitions at the university. We screen the pilot episode. I show them, it's 20 minutes, so it fits really well into a 75-minute class. Um, it's a really exciting day for them because it's so different from what we normally do. Um, and we watch the episode and talk through it and do activities linked to it to help them think through what exactly are ethics and why is that relevant to them. You're starting off your university experience. You would think it'd be more, you know, that, that a popular show that they could watch on NBC, you know, Thursday night or something would not be the starting point. Um, and yet you think there's some benefit to doing this over reading a philosophy text, say, or some academic work? The reason why I think the show works so well is because it helps them visualize the consequences of ethical decisions. So we talk a lot about the fact that um, when Eleanor talks, you know, calls to honey a giraffe or takes all of the shrimp in that first episode, um, it might seem like an action that has no consequence with others, but what the show demonstrates is that it does, right? You know, the giant giraffes are running around, shrimp are flying in the air, people are scared. Um, and I think it just really dramatizes the fact that our choices do have an impact on people, even if we don't always see them, even if it isn't always obvious. And I think that, you know, they can take, there are so many good ethics classes to be taking here on campus, and they're going to get some in their major, and they're going to get some when they're taking, you know, philosophy, but to just get that on the table, that our actions impact one another, often in ways we don't anticipate, I think is one of the most important ethics lessons that they can learn at this stage, and I think the show does it amazingly. And so you're not going to replace other classes with screening of Good Place. This is not like a every class situation. Correct. It's just kind of an intro to the concept to get them to think through it more. And my hope is that it will get them to want to take an elective that is a philosophy class that delves into it more. Um, it certainly gets them to watch the show. I have to warn them, you know, I'm excited for you to go watch more of it and I want you to come and talk with me about it, but don't do that at the expense of your homework, you know, do that first and then you get to go and catch up on the show. Oh boy. Yeah. There's the Netflix lure you're, you're almost uh, making that worse. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. You have to be careful. You have to remind them that those time management strategies we've been talking about as well still apply here and that it will be there for them to watch. You know, it's normally towards the end of the semester. So, you know, finish your finals and then you can binge it and catch up on all the other seasons. That's funny. So well, can you give me an example of a student that kind of responded to this or how students respond if they do? Yeah. Well, the activity that we do with it. Um, is I have them fill out a sheet with good and bad actions in the classroom and the points that they would give. Because one of the things that they get the most excited about is talking through those brief moments on the screen where they can see, oh, eating a sandwich got this point. So you're buying a trashy magazine, you lost those points. So we talk through that a little bit and then they create them for the classroom. So I have them work in groups and then we share out together um, what kinds of behaviors they would say are negative or positive in the classroom and what points. So this gets really fun because some students will be like, 
looking at your cell phone, that should be minus 500 points. And other students were like, whoa, whoa, like maybe five, we all do it. You know, so this becomes this great discussion about how a community um, shapes its ethics. And then they have them uh, journal about it individually. Like, where would you say you are with this? How would you evaluate your own sort of citizenship in this classroom, your own ethics as a student? And I find that they return to that again and again. So mm. it becomes part of class discussion afterwards where then, you know, someone might jokingly say, oh, minus points for that behavior if someone's done something in class. Um, they often will write about it in their, they have a culminating writing project. So they'll write about it there as something that changed how they were thinking through being in classroom with other people and being in community with other people. Um, because we're in Las Vegas and not far from LA, I've had students go to the set and send pictures from the set. Um, so they're also, I think, seeking out more opportunities to think through it um, because it's not, um, you know, I just think it's a topic that's not super explored. Um, Have you faced any skepticism internally at your, your university for having a sitcom effectively be a teaching material? Uh, I have not. The first time I taught it, I actually was observed by one of my peers. So one of the fellow instructors in our first year seminar program came in and observed it. And she loved it so much, she started using it, which I think is always a good endorsement. So she used it the next semester she taught in her class. And then I shared this um, in a poster form at our Best Teaching Practices Expo. And I got a lot of interest. People um, asked me to send them the lesson plan, um, people from all sorts of different disciplines. I think there was someone from our hospitality college, um, someone from somewhere else that I'm not remembering. I think that most people are really excited to have varied approaches in the classroom. They wanna have variety in the classroom. They wanna use a lot of different tools and techniques I find it's very successful towards the end of the semester because we've already established expectations and the rigor of the class and the you know big discussions we're going to have and it's it's towards the end so it's this treat but it shows them that they can still be having really thoughtful really engaged and you know very deep conversations about things like a TV show. Um, of course, I'm from the English. I have an English background, so my PhD is in English lit. So, you know, I anything, we can make a conversation about anything. You know, you could give me a menu and we will have a deep conversation I, about it. I was an English major too. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Right. But I'm sure there are people that would ask, you know, that, that question in the academy that say like, what what is all this like pop culture study? And isn't this just a waste of time? But it, in fact, you're, you're trying to build that bridge is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, it's sort of meeting students where they are, I think ethics can be a challenging topic. It can be one that um, can be very personal. And I think giving them this space that's humorous, that's still thoughtful, um, that's funny, um, but also sort of still challenging, like what is a good person? You know, that's really that first episode where she's wrestling, you know, I, okay, maybe I'm not a good person, but am I a bad person? You know, these are really deep life questions, but to show that it can be talked about in ways that um, are a little bit lighter, I think is, is a benefit for them. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. As I said before, we are here every week with new episodes, and we hope you'll subscribe or take a minute to give us a rating. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education. Thanks for listening.